You are listening to the Ridgewood Church Podcast on a sermon series that will take us through the Gospel of John, entitled, Learning Jesus. The signs, the miracles that Jesus did were done to strengthen faith. They were meant to elicit belief and bring new life. And though you may have walked with Jesus for decades and and loved Jesus and are a disciple of Christ, that call is still relevant. The call to believe. The call to allow faith to penetrate every area of our lives so that we can relinquish them and God can bring joy and peace. Sometimes... When we give ourselves to God, that new faith is seen by others. But more importantly, we know that our relationship with God has changed. And so because of that faith, we can overcome sin that maybe is eating us alive inside. Understanding the power of Christ and having faith in God's work in us helps us to grieve well, even if no one else understands. It allows us to alleviate anxiety in our lives because we're not trying to be in control anymore. And it shines a light into our heart even when our hearts feel dark and we're in despair. That's what faith can do. And that's what I want for you. I want you to live a life that is abundant, that is full, that is whole. I want you to lean in to be the person that God created you to be. And my hope this morning is as we see Jesus do this amazing miracle that you will enjoy a secure, a reinforced, and a fortified faith in Jesus, the author of life. And so we continue in our study in the Gospel of John. So turn to John 4. If you would, John 4, 43, and that's page 889 if you want to use the Bible on the rack in front of you. You can also hop on your Ridgewood app, and you just push media, study guide, and just follow into today's study. John 4, we're beginning in verse 43, and here in our second of the signs as we're in this section now of our series learning Jesus in about Jesus signs and how he's introducing himself we see that Jesus is again reminding the Jews that he is who he said he is that he is the son of God that he is Messiah and these signs are a call to believe and the first sign that we studied last week was that amazing moment when Jesus turned water into wine. It wasn't just the sheer force of the miracle that was amazing, but what it represented. It represented that Jesus had come, and with him, a new era in redemptive history, because the best wine was saved to last, and Jesus fulfills the Old Testament. And so now, in this particular miracle, we're going to see more of the same. And we're going to begin in verses 43 through 45. 
And this leads up to this narrative. This is the final section of what could be called the Samaritan interlude. This is the time where Jesus went to Samaria, sought out the woman at the well. She recognized who he is. She went to tell all those people, and they came to faith. And so now, returning to his own people, the reception was half-hearted. It was filled with unbelief. As Jesus taught, and as he began to introduce his kingdom, many abandoned him. And so now he's going to confront them on who he really is, the Son of God, the author of life. So let's hop up to verse 43 and begin. After the two days, he departed for Galilee. For Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his hometown. So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him, having seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the feast, where they too had gone to the feast, festival, Passover. So this section sets the stage for the Lord's second sign, and it would prove that he is Messiah. And this is the bottom line important thing to remember, is this sign confronted a Jewish audience regarding unbelief. The sign, the miracle, is confronting the fact that they don't yet believe in who he really is. And ironically, Jesus had just been to Samaria, which was despised by the Jewish people. But yet he ventured there, he found this woman. Because of her testimony, people came to believe in him, who he really is, Messiah, but not so at home. And if you look at verse 44, this famous phrasing, for Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his hometown. That's likely aimed at Israel itself, not at a particular region of Israel. And given that interpretation, this all makes perfect sense because the Galileans were just like others. They were following Jesus to see the show, to watch the miracles. And they had been to Jerusalem during the feast, and they had seen him turn over the temple. And in John 2, there are other signs and miracles described there. But that's the problem. They were intrigued by the wrong things. Jesus was asking for belief in his messiahship, in his new kingdom. And now he would show the people who he really is with an amazing sign. And I hope as we witness this together that it will help fortify your faith so that as you move through your journey in life, whether you're at a high point or a low point, that you'll put your faith in Jesus. And this will help fortify that this morning. And so let's begin to pick up the narrative in verse 46. Jesus returns to the setting of his first public miracle in Canaan, and a man's going to appear here in the narrative that is utterly desperate. 46, so he came again to Cana in Galilee, where he had made the water wine. And at Capernaum, there was an official whose son was ill. 
So in Capernaum is this official who's not identified. But we know for sure that he came looking for a healer. Why did he come to Cana? Well, word of mouth probably told him Jesus was moving there. It's also the place where Jesus did the first public miracle. And so this is the place where Jesus became famous. The man sought Jesus out. It's perfectly reasonable. This is where the sign happened. This is what I've heard about. I'm going there to meet this miracle maker. Now, the, 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 the official we don't know about, but we do know that the Greek here uses the term nobleman. And it probably refers to someone who's attached to the service of a king. Though we don't know explicitly which king this was, it was likely the king of Judea, Herod Antipas. But here's the thing that's interesting, is that he was no king at all. He was a puppet ruler of the Romans. And because the Romans controlled him and he sold out to the Romans, the people hated him. He was a traitor. He's the one that executed John the Baptist. He's the one to whom they brought Jesus on the night that he was crucified. He was a bad guy. His father was even worse, Herod the Great. Herod the Great was the one who was massacring Jewish children when we read about the birth of Christ. And it's ironic here that he would come to Jesus because he was an official in the courts of Herod Antipas. But he didn't come out of devotion to Jesus. He came out of a sense of desperation. And those of you who are parents or grandparents, you understand this. His request was simply made out of desperation. His son was sick. He would do anything to save his son. And he knew that this guy was traveling around and he was healing and he was doing miracles. And we see this play out here in verse 47. When this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. So this man who was from Capernaum, this beautiful lakeside city that was kind of the headquarters of Jesus, was willing to travel the 25 miles to Cana to track down this man and make a desperate plea for his son. He probably knew about Jesus because of what had happened in Capernaum too. John tells us that there were other things happening there. The Gospel of Luke tells us that Jesus healed Peter's mother-in-law right there in Capernaum. And Luke also tells us that he had done other signs there. All those who had any who were sick with various diseases brought them to him and he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. And demons also came out of many. So not only was Jesus known in the region of Cana, he was known back home. And so this man knew exactly who he was tracking down. The Lord's reputation had grown. And it's important to understand the man's mindset because his approach was out of desperation and he had little appreciation for who Jesus is. 
He wasn't thinking any deeper. He was thinking on the surface. I need to save my son. And so apparently the official's motivation centered on the Lord's status as a miracle worker rather than on his status as Messiah. It's so vital that if we're to fortify our faith in the author of life, that we gain a proper understanding of who he is. We must understand the identity of Jesus Christ. He is Messiah. He is King of Israel. In Luke 19, he is the Son of Man who came to seek and save the lost. This is who our Jesus is. And all of these signs were a part of that process. He's He's showing who he is. He's eliciting faith. He's seeking out the lost, just like he had just done in Samaria when he had found this woman at the well through a very intentional meeting. He's seeking and he's saving the lost. But what he's not is a vending machine, Jesus. And these onlookers wanted a show, so they were following to see the next big miracle that Jesus would do. But in order to fortify your faith, it's important to trust in the identity of Jesus, whether he's putting on a show or not at any particular time. The healing that would occur is meant to challenge this kind of unbelief. The man came to Cana because that's where Jesus had been working. He wanted a healer, but that wasn't Good enough for Jesus. He didn't like that. He, he wanted them to understand the depth of who he is. And so Jesus rebuked the Galileans for relying on signs and wonders. If you look here at verse 48, so Jesus said to him, the man, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. Now, when you see that, it sounds a little harsh. I mean, the guy had traveled 20, 25 miles to find him. But Jesus knew his heart, and he knew he was simply looking for a spinner of miracles. But even more to the point, the rebuke isn't just for the man. The you here is plural. So Jesus addresses these words to the Galileans as a whole, Because they fundamentally missed and disregarded who Jesus really is. Their Messiah. Their King. And so they, they couldn't find saving faith because they were looking at that level. Jesus wants us to go deeper. He wants us to trust in who He is. Because who He is never changes even when our lives are going crazy. And so, in order to help you this morning, because I love you, I'm going to invite you into my Christology class taught by Dr. Paul. So, we're going to take a moment and let's talk about who Jesus is. Because this is fundamentally important. Many of you know all of this already, but it's always a good reminder. And I would recommend uh, a book by Wayne Grudem, Systematic Theology. There's also a a smaller version that he wrote with his son. That will help you walk through some of this. But Jesus, first of all, we know is the eternal Son of God and fully God. That's really important. And John makes a big deal of that right out of the gate. That we understand that Jesus is 
fully God. He's eternal. He's the I am. He's Yahweh. He's the sinless God-man, born of a virgin. No sin, so that he could be that sacrifice on the cross, that unblemished lamb that stood in for us and took our sin upon himself. And that's what he is, the substitute sacrifice for sin. He is the one mediator between God and man. He is the reconciler. He's the one who is going to usher us into heaven because we are attached to him. We are wearing his robe of righteousness. He is our mediator. He is the sole redeemer. He is the only road to salvation. That's why he wanted people to believe so desperately because it's not different now than it was then. There were all kinds of religious systems going around there. Pharisees were loading the law on him. He said, no, just believe in me and you can have life. He's our high priest. I love this part of who Jesus is. You know, he's praying for you right now. He's interceding for you. Now that sometimes strikes us as being strange because we're, we're always praying to Jesus, but he's praying for you right now. He understands your deepest needs. He understands your deepest temptations because when he was here on earth, he was every bit 100% God, 100% man. He understands it all. And even more to the point, the sacrifice he made will be an eternal sacrifice because today he is still in a human body. And one day when we see him, we'll be able to touch his hands and put our fingers in his scars and worship him. That's our high priest. And he's the returning king. He's coming back for us. Doesn't that give you hope? Our world isn't doing very well right now. Jesus is coming back, though, and he's going to take us home with him. That's who Jesus really is. In short, he's the king. He's the author of life. And yes, he, he does miracles in our lives. He does heal. But a fortified and effective faith isn't waiting for the next big thing to believe. It believes in who Jesus claims to be and said that he is. We put our faith in him not in what he does. Does that make sense? We put our faith in him, whether he acts a certain way or not. And so the question is, is your faith based on the performance of Jesus? Does it ebb and flow with how you perceive he's doing at the moment for you? But it doesn't seem like he's answering prayer or this job that I thought was his will isn't working out very well, so your faith begins to cave in. Or is it based on his identity? Because if it's based on his identity and his personhood, then that faith will take you through the roughest waters of life. And up until this point, the man hadn't shown this kind of faith. And though he'd sought Jesus out in desperation to save his Son, he was looking for signs and wonders. But he was about to find a brand new faith. Look at verses 49 through 53. Jesus does the miracle, and it's unlike anything seen before. Verse 49. The official said to him, Sir, 
come down, that's a geographical, come down before my child dies. Jesus said to him, go, your son will live. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. And as he was going down, his servants met him and told him that his son was recovering. So he asked them the hour when he began to get better. And they said to him, yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. And the father knew that was the hour when Jesus had said to him, your son will live. And he himself believed and his household. What were the signs for? To elicit belief. And now the man had found faith. Notice here that the man didn't wait around to see the miracle. He didn't, he he wasn't like the others around him that were just following, I want to see that miracle. No, that wasn't what he was all about. Faith came to him immediately. As Jesus was doing the miracle, faith came to this man. And I think it's remarkable that at that moment, he could just trust and walk away. Fortified and sustaining faith is not faith that is going to sway in the wind or bob in the waves. It's predicated on the power of Christ, not his ability to put a show on, not his ability to please us always. He is God. And the official didn't wait to watch. He believed. There have been times in my life, two watershed moments, where I've had to embrace God in a way that I'd never had to before. The first was when my wife Jody died. The second was when our son Taylor was killed. And at each of those moments, I, I, I saw very clearly in my faith walk, that there was a fork in the road. There was a fork that would go towards God and lean into His power and trust His will, or there was a road toward bitterness and losing my faith and walking away from God. And there were times when both of those roads seemed palatable. And so the question would be, am I going to believe or not believe? Am I going to have faith or not have faith? Am I going to trust and forgive? Or am I going to get bitter? And I'm so thankful that through the power of the Holy Spirit that he pushed me down this road because there were times when I really wanted to go down this road. But here's what I learned through those experiences. I learned that God was deepening my faith But it meant that I needed to have faith in things that I didn't agree with. To have faith in actions that I didn't understand. To have faith in something that brought me incredible pain that was totally out of my control. And all along I could feel God just calling me, trust me, trust me. Now when I look back, I see 
just a little of what God was doing. He was fortifying me. He was growing my roots deep. And I pray often that I don't make a shipwreck of my faith. But I'm confident that God has grown these roots deep through this pain, through suffering, where I had only one place I could go to find life, and that was Jesus. Jesus is faithful. I was being fortified. And and that was an amazing feeling. But here's the thing. If we're going to have this kind of faith, then we have to let go of things that we don't understand. Because we think we're so smart. We think we can see the road ahead of us. We think that we're the ones that have all of the logic and all of the wisdom. When in fact, it's God. And Isaiah 55 just shouts out at us, For my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. Faith believes that. Remember when Joseph finally confronted his brothers in Genesis 50, 20, and he said, As for you, you meant evil against me. But God meant it for good. There was real evil. Real evil. His brothers did horrible things to him, but yet he could see that his God was working. That's fortified faith. And that's what I want for you, because that's how we come into places where we march through life and we're secure and we're stable because we don't look at circumstances as much as we're just keeping our eyes on the one who loves us. So the man gained faith. He knew Jesus was good for it, so he just walked away. And there's a couple of proofs within the miracle I just want to point out that I hope will help fortify your faith. The first is this. Jesus healed from a distance. This, I think, is really significant. He healed from a distance. Remember, the boy was 20, 25 miles away. And I love Jesus' casual but profound words here in verse 50. Go, your son will live. Go, your son will live. No smoke from dry ice. No theatrics. No tickets sold. Just go, your son will live. Jesus healed the boy by the very force of his power. The boy wasn't in the vicinity. Jesus didn't touch the boy. He just healed him through his power. And I hope that knowledge can help fortify your faith. Because frankly, when it comes to Jesus' ability to heal, geography clearly doesn't matter. The type of sickness doesn't matter. All we know is that he had a fever. We don't know what kind of sickness he had. Age doesn't matter. What matters is that Jesus has this raw power to heal. Jesus is scary powerful. He is scary powerful. And I say that out of respect. Because whether we ask too many times or not enough, or whether we say the right words or the wrong ones, 
Jesus' power wins the day. That's the joy of fortifying faith. The end game rests on Jesus. It doesn't rest on us. And so notice that he healed from a distance. And the second thing that is really significant, I think, is that the healing was confirmed by others. It's not just a story that was written by a lunatic somewhere. Others were involved, saw it happen. And I think that matters because as he's going back home, he runs into his entourage, members of his household, and they say, hey man, your, your son, he's well. And he says, what time? Because he knew what time. And they said the seventh hour. And it doesn't really matter what time of day that was. He did the computation and he said, wow, that's exactly when Jesus said, your boy will live. And it was confirmed by those people. They knew that he had done that and, and that his whole household came to faith is amazing. And so the second sign is just as stunning as the first, turning water into wine. And if you look at 54, John rounds, rounds out this section. This was now the second sign that Jesus did when he had come from Judea to Galilee. Next week, we're going to look at the sign of healing a lame man. But do you see how Jesus here is introducing himself? He's challenging unbelief, and he's showing himself to be Messiah, son of God. And this man... This desperate man, he's just looking for a miracle worker, like we would for our kids. And he runs into the Son of God, and, and Jesus changes his heart. The man has faith. He walks away. His son is healed. And Jesus just casually says, hey, go, your son's going to live. Good to go. Wow. That's power. That's power. And so there's no doubt in my mind that this shows me and confirms in my own life that Jesus is the author of life. He is the author of life. He brought life. He's raised people from the dead. He, raised, he had the power to raise himself from the dead. He will raise us from the dead one day. Jesus is the author of life. And, and he can heal you too, whether it be spiritually or physically Whatever you're struggling with, Jesus is powerful enough to deal with it. Which doesn't mean he's going to remove all of your pain all of a sudden. Because Paul was a perfect example. Wow, there's this thing I struggle with. Nobody knows what that thorn is, but Paul, it was very real for Paul. And he kept praying that God would take it away, but God didn't. And Paul finally realized, it's probably because that's what keeps me humble. But God, God has the power. Jesus, the one who lives in you, has the power. So the question then becomes, how do I, how do I get this fortifying faith? How, how, do, how exactly do I come about this? Well, there are steps that you can do, but I'm going to give you three that I hope will help you do this. First, I, it's important that you look past circumstances to the identity of Jesus. That you don't let circumstances control your worldview. And you just, you, you focus on who Jesus is. Life throws curveballs at you. People hurt you. 
Churches stumble and they hurt you, but Jesus never does because Jesus never changes. And so when you trust in him, in his identity, that he's this loving, all-powerful savior of the world, then that faith will stay constant even when everything else seems to be spinning out of control. Secondly, don't try and manipulate Jesus. Jesus is Yahweh. He's not going to be manipulated. Now here, listen to me carefully. I want you to pray with all of your heart. I want you to pray in faith. And there are things in Scripture that clearly promise that if we pray for them, God will give them to us. Wisdom comes to mind. The Bible's very clear. You pray for wisdom and you will be bestowed wisdom. It doesn't say how, but we will. But what I am saying is that if you take it upon yourself to do everything perfectly and then God doesn't answer the way that you had intended, then the first person you're going to blame is yourself because there must have been something I could have done differently. And believe me, there are enough people around that will remind you that you didn't do it right. So you need to have faith in the one you're praying to, not in your ability to pray the best prayers. When, when, when Jody was sick, we had people coming to the hospital, finally had to stop, who would, who would look and go, have you prayed for faith? Do you have enough faith? And I'd go like, yeah, no, we're just sitting here watching TV. Of course we're praying for faith. God can heal. And so don't try to manipulate, but I do think prayer is massively important. I walked by on Wednesday, the intercessors were here praying. I was so thankful that they were praying. When, you're, when, when, when you come, ladies, on Wednesday, I know you guys are praying, I just feel this sense of security and peace and joy because I know that we're being covered in prayer. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that a perfect prayer doesn't trigger God to do something that's not in his best plan. And then finally, I will say this, pray for faith, because faith is a gift from God. In, in, in Ephesians, Paul made this very clear, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is a gift of God. So pray for faith. If you feel shaky, pray for faith. If you feel like you're being driven by circumstances, then pray for faith. And then receive what God has for you. Because if this kind of faith in the one who has this kind of power can turn sorrow into joy, it can turn pain into understanding, it can turn a directionless person onto a path that will lead to God's glory. There's power there, but the power isn't in us. It's in the person that we're believing in. And so, as we see this sign, we see this amazing moment where 25 miles away, this boy is healed by the sheer power of Jesus. And that healing's available to us. And so, what I hope that you've seen this morning, that you can have a fortified faith by believing in this amazing person named Jesus Christ. So I just want you to take a moment and, and bow your heads and just ask 
God, is there something that I need to relinquish and to trust you more in? Just ask him that question and see what he says. And then just take a moment and pray for faith. We, we, many here have been walking with Jesus for many years, but yet we know that our faith is tested daily. So just take a moment and pray for faith. And finally, just take a moment and thank God that he is there for you. That when we submit to him, when we ask him, when we admit that we are needy and lost, that he is always there for us. He is our righteousness. He is the one that can save us. But even more, he's the one that can come and heal our souls, heal our bodies, bring us closer to himself. And one day, return to usher us into eternity with him, fully clothed in his righteousness. And so, God, we're going to sing about that right now. We're going to worship you for this truth. And so, help us to worship with a pure heart. Just acknowledging the goodness and power that you bring into our lives. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Thank you for joining us on the Ridgewood Church Podcast. For more faith-based resources or information about Ridgewood Church, visit us at myrwc.org.